You're tuning in to Missouri NEA Connects, a podcast to focus on all things Missouri education, from policy to practice, so that each of us can unite, inspire, and lead from where we are. We're happy you're here. Hi, welcome. Why don't you tell us your name and title? I'm Otto Fagen, and I am the Legislative Director for Missouri NEA. What week of the session are we in right now, and how many do we have left? We just finished week number six Mm -hmm. of session, and there are a total of 18 session weeks, so we have 12 remaining. We're going to break this up into past, present, and future. So the past, basically, is what has happened so far. What are the big bills or topics in the legislature since we last spoke? What has been brought to the floor or what has been discussed in committees? Well, it's been very, as I said last time, it's been busy. And we just yesterday had the second round of floor debate on Senate Bill 4. And that is a bill we anticipated. That bill touches on the topics of curriculum and so-called CRT. Uh, It touches on parent information access and parents' rights. Uh, And then it has some other peripheral things. It kind of got bigger as it spent time on the floor as negotiations took place. And we were told early yesterday in the day that the Senate was going to stay on that bill until they finished it yesterday, which we, we weren't sure if that was the top. We weren't stunned by that but we weren't sure if that was going to be the way it was going to go down. But, you know, we probably anticipated when they brought the bill up around 1.30 or 2 that they would be on it for many hours because they were on it for, I don't know, maybe five hours uh, one day last week. And then they had been on this talking about it for maybe 30 minutes. And the next thing we knew, um, they were done. They, this is, this is the, process by which they debate and amend a bill, uh, at which point when they're done, then the sponsor is allowed to close, that is to make a motion for perfection. And then, and if that motion is approved, that process is over. And whatever changes that they've made, they print what's called the perfected bill, which is the bill with all the changes. Mm-hmm. And then at some later time, they bring that back up for a final vote. And that's just talk about it a little bit, And then everybody votes yes or no. And that is the official third vote or the third reading, the final uh, motion before it goes to the other chamber. And so we kind of thought that debate would probably last well into the evening. What what we think happened was that there were some um, senators who were getting ready to draft uh, very controversial, probably kind of right-wing amendments that would really have kind of maybe blown up the process, caused there to be, you know, such protracted debate that maybe they wouldn't even finish the bill. And the, the people who had concerns about the bill as it was uh, were inclined to just cut, cut the, the, uh, the thing off and let it be the way it was because there had been a lot of negotiation going into that bill, there were, I guess you could say minor, but relevant improvements on the parent information access to clarify any 
conflicts where that kind of language would have been causing problems for confidentiality and privacy requirements in state and federal law. Um, that has been, you know, a common thing with these bills being written by a think tank and not really understanding all the nuances of privacy of information. So we had some of that stuff negotiated and improved. The curriculum stuff still has a lot of concerns, but they also put in, you know, on the negotiation side, there's additional funding, essentially what we might call pupil weight. That is, if you have kids who are homeless, if you have kids who live in poverty, this bill would say that the school formula will give more money. And the price tag for that, I think the fiscal note estimates it to be at least $80 million a year. So as a part of this conversation, they actually added in minor improvements uh, to the school formula that will make the formula cost more and move more money to kids, uh, to districts with uh, kids living in poverty and, and districts with homeless students. So that bill, because it has that fiscal impact, was not able to be brought up for final passage today. It has to go through the Fiscal Oversight Committee. And that's still Senate Bill 4. Still Senate Bill 4. But it, yeah, this whole, that whole conversation, is, and that was, you know, that's a big bill. That was a big topic. That was that big leftover thing that was kind of like poised to maybe be enacted at the very end of last session. Mm-hmm. And, and because it didn't get done on day one of this session, the Senate leader had said, you know, this is something that's going to happen. We will make sure we get something passed on this topic. So there was there was an understanding that you might slow this bill down, but they would even resort to moving the previous question if they had to, to end debate and bring it to a vote. Uh, so now that bill will you know, there'll be the conversation about the finances and it'll probably get voted out of fiscal oversight. That'll probably happen sooner rather than later. You know, we, we wouldn't be surprised to see the hearing on, on it, the bill get kicked out and brought up for third reading within a few days of, during next week. That's quite possible. I mean, they usually don't third read bills until Thursday, but that, you know, they might make an exception for bringing this one up since it was kind of held over. So that's that's a big topic. Um, there are others, though. Um, we've been involved in conversations uh, relating to the impact of standardized testing, mm-hmm. which has been around for a couple of decades and has had a lot of impact in terms of narrowing of curriculum, in terms of making for a fairly, you know, prescriptive, high stakes uh, notion about accountability. And Senate Bill 85 is an example of a bill that would change that. Um, As it got voted out of the committee, it would basically authorize every school district to have essentially a local control status that would mean that they would no longer be subject to MSIP or state accreditation, uh, APRs, and they would not be required to do the MAP assessment. They could do their own teacher-designed assessment uh, aligned to their curriculum. Obviously, that's a pretty far-reaching step. The, the assessment piece in particular you know, raises the question of connection to federal funding, and of course, that'll have to be a part of the, the debate. But it's a, it is a new wrinkle to the, the overall conversation that is 
really, I think, changing the overall dynamic of the session. That, act, that idea has a lot of appeal to a lot of folks in the legislature, probably more individual appeal than charter school expansion, than open enrollment, than, you know, public money for private schools for a whole lot of folks who are starting to recognize we have a real problem that teachers are not really becoming, you know, going to the ed, ed prep programs and becoming new teachers as, as much as they used to. We're not able to hold on, recruit and retain teachers as, as well as we were able to in years past. And there's a kind of an appreciation that maybe it's on the side of pay, maybe it's on the side of respect. And that kind of, that's kind of where this comes in, that something needs to be done to help make uh, public schools and public school teaching be something people are, are willing to continue to do because it's essential to maintaining our democracy. And when they become legislators, they swear an oath to uphold the constitution and that's job one under the constitution. Yeah, the conversation surrounding Senate Bill 85 and especially in terms of recruitment and retention. But then in Senate Bill 4, the curriculum piece. Just it, it's a complete, uh, what's the word, uh, cognitive dissonance. You know, yeah. it's just like, you know, situational irony. Yes. You know, And, you know, if they didn't have, if that issue hadn't come in to this session with the political momentum that it had. Yeah. And we just were like, you know, starting from ground zero and this conversation took off, there might not have been a Senate Bill 4 as, as much because you can just as well make the argument that where there's angst um, in a community, it can just as well be attributed to the restrictions that are placed on school boards and educators by policies coming from above that create you know, challenges in terms of the engagement and the relationship at the local level, as can be addressed by the legislature coming in with the heavy hand and yet again, adding more on top of that in terms of now DESE has to manage a portal that has everybody's curriculum. And we're going to put into the state law specifics about what a teacher can and can't do, what they can and can't say. Um, there's there's a just a kind of a complete disconnect between A and B. The thought process wasn't able to like kick in quickly enough in terms of people saying, oh, we're starting to think maybe we, you know, maybe 30 years of standardized testing has not really shown a lot of positive impact and we should maybe have more, more autonomy given back to teachers to you know, align their instruction to where their kids are at and assessment should be aligned to what the teachers, how they're teaching, what they're teaching, how kids are learning, what they're learning. So there's, you know, that's starting to filter into people's minds, but this other train was already, it had so much momentum that they just weren't able to, you know, shift gears and say, oh, wait a minute. So, so that bill, it, since they've perfected it, it, there's very little chance that they would back up that. That happens every once in a while. They'll probably proceed directly to a vote and send it to the House. That means that we'll then need to be picking up that language and start come talking with the folks on the house. Uh, we expect that it would go to the education, the elementary and secondary education committee. So we'll be, you know, picking up that conversation with those folks. Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. and pointing out, you know, all of the concerns, you know, from an, from the practicing educators point of view, how can, how can we still do the education? How can we plan? How could, you know, I'm sorry, Johnny, I have to look at the statute, the poster that's up on the wall. And then I may have to consult with counsel before I answer your question. You know, that just isn't going to be okay. And so we're going to make that case to the House committee. And we're, we're hopeful that there's a path for some corrections to be made there. The House committee and many of the people on that House committee heard a dozen of these bills last session in a very polarized context. And even in that polarized context, some of the provisions that the Senate sent over for different parts of it, whether it is that, oh my gosh, you know, your instruction included a concept that might run afoul of somebody's interpretation of this bill, to, oh my gosh, you know, there's one document that's in somebody's uh, syllabus that didn't get onto the portal, and then there are financial consequences to school systems. Thinking about that portal for DESE, we are so data-rich and information-poor. So I just cannot imagine giving them that much more data when they're sitting at like a 25% no fill rate for some of their positions. They are also understaffed. Right. Then you you get a portal with not just data points, but documents. Documents. Right. That is, let's, let's just make this harder for everyone. Yes. (laughs) I mean... That just does it doesn't make sense. It seems like a waste of resources and a waste of everyone's time and and just a slap in the face to teachers. You know, our hope is going to be that um, the committee chair and the members of the House committee will look back at some of the alternative ideas they had last session that were less intrusive. Um, and see if they can they can craft something that still, you know, if, if that if those folks who feel like they're so invested in that, you know, moving that train, they need some kind of a political victory, you know, if that can be done without, you know, so burdening the department, so burdening our, our staff that they can't really be effective. Uh, that's what we'll be trying to, we'll be trying to make those kinds of corrections in the house committee. Oh. So we've got Senate bill four, Senate bill 85. What else do we got? That's either happened recently in the past or in the present right now? Um, let's see, what else? I mean, there's other, there's other topics that are kind of like moving and they, to a degree, are also going to be kind of the future that is, you know, coming up mm-hmm. um, as they advance. So for example, we had open enrollment bills advance to kind of like where they could start to be looked at as maybe being debated in both chambers. And it's, there are two different bills. Um, Senate bill five, also Senator Andrew Koenig is on the Senate calendar. I think it's been placed over onto the informal calendar, which is kind of like its turn comes up and like, we're not really going to deal with that today. You put it in the parking lot. That's what the informal calendar is. Okay. Um, it could anytime they want to, and the floor leader, Cindy O'Loughlin, decides we're going to go to informal calendar, that would usually be done with a purpose, like we're going to X bill and we'll probably get you know a tiny bit of advance notice that day that it's going to happen. 
Um, but that that bill could be taken up. Meanwhile, Brad Pollitt has House Bill 253, which is the same topic, but has some differences in its language. Um, for example, most notably, his doesn't expand to charter schools, whereas Senate Bill 5 does. And if charter schools ever expand in a more open context in terms of where they can be, uh, we have seen states like Minnesota and with the Twin Cities where the combination of public school open enrollment and open enrollment in charter schools has completely resegregated the entire the entire school system of the Twin Cities. And so that's a that's a very, very concerning mix. Senator uh, Koenig's bill would be a, a big step in that direction in that it would be open enrollment and it would include open enrollment into charter schools where they are. Representative Pollitt's bill does not include that. Um, and so there's a pretty significant difference there. Um, Representative Pollitt's bill made it through the, what they call the rules committee, which is kind of the gatekeeper committee, which means that the, it's now available to be put on the calendar and could be debated potentially, I guess, as soon as next week, depending upon how the House runs its schedule. So both of those bills are kind of lurking out there. Uh, both of those bills could at some point in the next few weeks be taken up. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's that's kind of looming out there. The House has already sent over a provision on initiative petitions. That was a hot topic for the House, House Joint Resolution, for, Resolution 43, which would, if adopted by voters, say that anything new amending the Constitution would have to get a 60% majority vote which would be a part of this effort to kind of restrict the ability. It's really targeting initiative petitions where the public, the people of Missouri have that tool. If they're not satisfied that the legislature is responding to an issue they want to see responded to, they have the ability to bring that forward. And since the state was around, uh, it, when we've had initiative petition or any other question like that, it's always been, approved by a simple majority. This would be the first time in 200 years that we changed that for constitutional provisions. All of our constitutions, for example, we've had four. They've all been approved by a simple majority vote, as have our constitutional amendments, most of which actually come from the legislature through what's known as a joint resolution. But a few of them have come from initiative petition. And of course, if they legislature doesn't approve of that, then that's why they didn't do, deal with it. And if the people have a different idea, you can see that there's a tension there and, and they're, they're eager to try to remove that tool uh, so that there isn't the option for the people to go around the legislature. Of the states that have this sort of a process in some form, last election in November of 2022, there were 10 issues before voters in other states to try to make this sort of a change or some kind of change restricting the ability of the of the citizenry to do something like that and nine out of ten of them were defeated most of them pretty soundly at the ballot box so it's a pretty tough sell to go to the people and say we, you know would you wouldn't you like to vote to take away your voice uh <laughs> <laughs> see how that goes over there's another, so the other one that's kind of lurking out there is um, state money to private schools. That's uh, Senate Bill 81, 
Mary Elizabeth Coleman, also a new state senator from Jefferson County. And that bill also got turned in. So it's on the informal calendar. It got laid over along with the open enrollment bill. That bill originally also had a tax credit for homeschool expenses, but that was removed at the request of a part of the homeschool community, the part that does not want the noxious touch of state money on homeschooling. And so it now is just basically, um, you could say, I want to have my child attend a private school and the state will then pay, essentially pay into an account for you, the state adequacy target, you know, the basic per pupil amount for a public school uh, for support of your private school education, uh, or at least up, up to the tuition, if it's not higher than the adequacy amount, which is about 63.75. And so uh, the, the fiscal impact on that, I don't think it was properly calculated in the original fiscal note. Um, we should we should be seeing a fiscal note for the committee version. And I think it's going to be pretty large, like hundreds of millions of dollars, because we have a you know significant number of folks who are making the choice to go to a private school. If they were to avail themselves of $6,000, it can pretty quickly get into the hundreds of millions of dollars. And, you know, since they've been cutting taxes uh, significantly in recent years, it, we're probably pretty quickly going to go back to a time where the the state revenues start to come back down after the federal money kind of washes through the state. And as the tax cuts come home to roost, uh, it's going to be harder and harder to do both fund the obligations they have for public education and take on any new obligations in terms of you know, moving money to private schools, which has consequences for the state, consequences for public accountability, and probably consequences for private schools themselves, because as, you know, the, as the money comes, there probably some strings start to attach to it. And then, um, so that one is also on the calendar, whether that one gets brought up or not, it's also you know, gonna be at the discretion of leadership and how it plays. Uh, our hope, of course, is, and we'll, we'll talk to folks about both of those and urge them to not be supportive of either of those bills as they stand. You know, remind everyone that uh, we have now started up our capital action days getting a chance to inter interact with legislators. We, uh, when we have folks come down for capital action days, we make sure to schedule appointments for everyone. So you, well, you'll have a meaningful chance to talk with legislators and their staff while you're visiting the Capitol. Um, and so you know, that really helps to support our advocacy. And it also helps the legislators. You know, there's, there really is, uh, even on both sides of the aisle, kind of an, a recognition that uh, they need to be more supportive of teachers. And so there's really, I think, some interest in getting to hear from teachers and, and get to know their concerns. So they're, they're better able to figure out, you know, what, what are the things we could do that would really make a difference? Um, and so that, that, I think, is probably a very useful thing for, that our members can do. If you haven't already done so, fill out one of the postcards. We have some uh, legislative issue postcards um, really on useful topics that are kind of generically re related and, and help support the conversation about legislation. Last time, 
we discussed how I, I described the, the one word as busy, and it continues to be busy. I guess the thing I would share at this point, and I don't want people to, to take it the wrong way, but I kind of now describe it as dangerous. And that's dangerous in not 100% a bad way. In, in other words, you know, there's just a bigger set of things and a, a kind of a bigger, richer conversation about where we're at, what, you know, what's been happening over the years, where we're at in education and the things we might be interested in doing. You know, the, the conversation at, in a significant, you know, real way about standardized testing and local control and the, how that connects to teacher willingness to be, you know, become a teacher and stay in the classroom. That's a relatively new part of the conversation that is leading to different policies than we've seen talked about in the recent years. So I, I, I don't want people to worry that if I describe it as dangerous, that that's not all bad. It just means that there's a bigger lens that people are looking through in terms of the, of the topics. It's not just, you know, how much of the ed reform agenda is, is, is likely to be passed this session, but more, you know, what really is the right direction? Do we just want to descend into becoming Arizona or do we want to be different? Do we want to set a, a, a new course that other states might even want to look at? Thank you for that descriptor because dangerous could have been taken in so many different ways. Indeed. In so many different ways. But I do agree. We are at, at a moment in time where it could go in so many directions. Right. And I guess I just might add, you know, it there may be a need for a much greater level of engagement. Hmm. You know, if legislators start to show real interest in the con the you know the questions about local control, there'll probably be a lot of resistance from the big money ed reform infrastructure and the department, frankly. And yeah. and so, you know, there may need to be a whole lot of voices, more voices than we've had, um, helping support that conversation. So we may we may need to expand um the and I'm not just talking about you know sending an email. I'm talking about you know really having a conversation with somebody um, where there's time and space to be you know genuine about it and say this matters, you know, and this yeah. this could be a special opportunity to to think about what's been going on, some of these long term um, trends, and think do, can we think differently. Can we be inspired to think about something very different and what, you know, what is, what's the possibility that that could be a better thing for our staff and our teachers and our kids? And our communities. And our communities, yeah. for sure. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, I appreciate the update. Thank you. You're welcome. I look forward to next month's because I am, I'm going to start keeping track of all your one word responses. <laughs> And at the end of this, in May, I'm going to make you do something with all those. So be prepared. I'm taking stock. I'm on notice. <laughs> all right. Sounds good. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. Hopefully hopefully you see some listeners at Capital Action Days. That'd be great. <laughs>